0: Uh, when my in-laws lived there, we, uh, we often visited Houston, Texas. There was one memorable trip I want to tell you about. We visited two public venues while we were in Houston with our kids. Um, first, we went to the Rothko Chapel. It, um, it was decorated by the famous artist Mark Rothko. Um, it felt very, very somber. It had, here's how I think of it. It had that kind of oppressiveness that you feel in the presence of great self-righteousness. Um, the kids just said this place is boring. We hate it, and frankly, I, I agreed with them. Now, you need to know a little bit about the Rothko Chapel. It is very famous. There's there's these triptych panels are apparently worth millions of dollars. There's very thin layers of dark paint. Very thin layers of dark paint. It's all negative. It's all dark. Rothko claimed, and I quote him here, that this is capturing the authentic religious experience based on the unbearable silence of God. Close quote. It probably won't surprise you to learn that Mark Rothko committed suicide right after that chapel was finished. Rothko's story is a picture of our modern world. Have you noticed this? Today, we assume that only negative experiences are authentic, right? We lay our darkness over anything that is lovely. We deny connection to the Creator God who has spoken... In our cynicism, in our hubris, we even turn worship spaces into bastions of silent darkness. Now, on that same trip, We also visited the Children's Museum of Houston. What a great place. We were exhausted from all the fun we had there. Our kids walked through a human circulatory system. They programmed a space launch, which was really, really cool. I don't think it actually set off a rocket, but I don't know for sure. And and they ran an entire grocery store. Everything was full of wonder. Everything was a new experience to touch, to try, ask questions about and, and learn from. Now, I got a question for you. Which of those two do you think was actually the more authentic experience, the black-paneled room of nothing or the hands-on rooms of adventure? Which one do you think was more authentic? Yeah, the the rooms of adventure. Nancy Piercy, who teaches in that swamp called Houston. um, Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Nancy uh, would also argue for the Children's Museum. Look what Dr. Piercy writes in her book, Saving Leonardo. As personal beings, we are invited into a deeper wonder to share in the life and love between the three persons of the divine trinity in whose image we are made. In communion, he's not silent. In communion with the personal yet infinite God, we actually get in touch with our own personality at deeper levels than we ever thought possible, close quote. Listen, authenticity, self-awareness, adventure, these are not found in dark coldness. They are found in wonder. Mystic wonder grounded in a personal yet infinite God. Wonder rooted in the one God who somehow exists in three persons. Wonder that comes from a triune God who has spoken. Wonder is our annual vision for this year. Here's what we're going to do. You and I are going to go on an adventure this year to crawl out from under all of the dark, fake chapels of this life and discover how to live in light of wonder. All God's people said amen our journey starts in luke 18 Uh, please open your bible to luke 18 in luke 18 we learn that we must receive like a child we have to receive like a child Uh, luke 18 i'll give you the context in a moment just go to verse 17 jesus is speaking with his disciples truly i tell you whoever does not receive the kingdom of god like a child will never enter it Uh, as we summarize in your notes um If if you're studying with us elsewhere, you go to the website there, and you'll see a place, or on Facebook, I think you can see a place where it says you can download the notes. You can do that if you're here in the auditorium. Open your bulletin. The notes are there inside. Jesus declares, people must receive what God offers with the eyes of a child. Parallel passage in Matthew. It puts the story this way. Matthew 18, at the same time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, so, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's how they said it, too. I don't know if you know that. And um, Jesus called a small child and had him stand among them. Truly, I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the big idea in each passage is faith. Faith. Children trust By the way, the context in in both Luke and in Matthew is these kids, all these small children are coming to Jesus. Please note this, God is not calling us to childishness. We must mature. But He is calling us to childlikeness. Look, childishness, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. Matthew chapter 18, truly I tell you, He said, "'Unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven.'" We need to grow up such that we become childlike, trusting God, not childish and immature. Max Lucado addressed this really nicely in his book, Glory Days. Uh, Lucado says this, "'In our house the game was called Ladies and Gentlemen. Participants included three preschool-age daughters and one very happy-to-ham-it-up father.'" The daughters were freshly bathed, pajama-clad, and ready to fly from couch to recliner. The father was glad to serve as chief ringmaster, spotter, and catapult. Ladies and gentlemen, I would announce to the audience of one, Denelon, that's his wife, um, who was wondering why we need to do acrobatics before bedtime. Ladies and gentlemen, the Lucado girls will now fly through the air. The living room became a carnival, and I was the human tilt a whirl. I held the girls upside down and swung them around as if they were rag dolls. They spread their arms and giggled. I tossed them onto the sofa, flipped them over the ottoman, caught them as they leaped off the back of the recliner. They loved it. Never once did they question my judgment or strength. Their mom did. A pediatrician would have. But never in the cycle of a thousand flips and flops did my daughter say to me, Have you thought this through, Dad? I'm not certain you can catch me. Are you positive you know how to do this? Perhaps you should practice with a pillow. (laughs) That's my favorite one. Never once did they think I would drop them. Dad says he can, then he can. Dad says he will, then he will. They trusted me completely. After all, I was their father. Oh, that we would trust ours. Close quote. Oh, that we would trust ours. Act like children of God and trust him. That's the big idea in our passage. Now, there's more than only trust going on in Jesus' example. Um, Francis Schaeffer made this comment about Luke chapter 18. Apparently, he made this comment many, many times. I only heard it once. I happened to be at a meal in 1986, and we were all discussing Luke chapter 18, and Francis Schaeffer made this brilliant observation. He said, don't you realize how many questions children ask? Jesus is calling us to wonder. He says become like a child, he's calling us to wonder when we are active and alert and questioning. That's when we're most childlike in our trust. The the late, great Dan Fogelberg captured this, I think, beautifully in a poem. Uh, He wrote, standing quiet, laughing, breathing steam, gazing down into a freezing stream, I saw the face of a child. We should be active and trusting. We should be wondering and laughing, excited about things like the steam of our breath and cool air. We should be asking questions like children. But instead, you and I often live, we do, in a state of silent darkness where such colorful things are not allowed. It's a darkness that is imposed by the world, by ourselves, and even by the church. Now, it's not hard to see examples of silent darkness imposed by the world, is it? Not today, it's not Silence must override everything. That's why those who ignore the party line must be shouted down, or, or shamed into submission, or eliminated. The thin layers of darkness must be applied like a like a Rothko painting, so that anything wonderful, anything good, is distorted into oppression. Anything that asks difficult questions, as children children do, that must be hidden. Look at this. Look at this brilliant cartoon. This cartoonist fascinatingly, made a child ask the great question. There's only two children in this painting. These are all angry adults. Actually, they're, they're childish, but we would call them adults. These two children right here, the little boy says, in hindsight, maybe our cancel culture got a bit too group thinky. What do you think is going to happen to that boy when the mob hears him? Hmm? layers of darkness. Now, that kind of blanket silencing can also be imposed by a church. I don't know if you've noticed, but churches churches are sometimes afraid of doubts or anomalies or questions. It's absurd because Scripture tells us to question God, to wrestle with Him. Get this, Get this, according to numerous studies, there are two factors that are most responsible for helping teenage Christians transition into healthy adult servants of God. Two things most responsible for helping teenagers who are believers in Christ become healthy adult members of the church, servants of God. You know what they are? You wanna guess what they are? No, it is not. Hyper parenting and helicopter parenting. Thank you. No prize for you, sir. No, it is not license and no rules at all. Here's what they are. These are the two things. Study after study shows they are raised in an environment that allows for doubts, concerns, and even arguments about theology. Number two, their child and teen years include a strong church community. We must stop living in silent darkness that keeps us from wonder, especially in the church. And often the most serious, you guys know this, right? The most serious attempts at silence come from oneself. This is usually due to fear. For example, in the midst of the 2020 pandemic, I wrote this. I said, our time is marked by a pervasive state of fear. By every measure, and I do mean every measure. Humans are safer and healthier than at any point in history. Yet unreasonable fear holds a maddening control over minds. Interestingly, the grip of this phobia seems strongest in the souls of those who are healthiest and safest. Instead of trusting God, asking good questions, thanking Him, we give in to overwhelming fear. It is a fear which makes us hunker down, right? We hunker down in a dark gray world covered in the sound of silence. Now, I can imagine, I know, in response to all this, many of you are thinking in your, um, in your, in your Richard Nixon imitation, this is no time for childlike wonder. These are serious days with legitimate fears, right? Dark times call for dark responses. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. With all due respect, you're utterly wrong. And, and this guy proves it, the Hebrew prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk shows how important wonder is even in the darkest days. Habakkuk had fears. His were real, and they were understandable. His were this is what his world was. It was full of so much unrighteous nastiness that justice always came out perverted. Not just sometimes. The, the wicked surrounded God's people. His country was doomed. They had a prophecy against them. They were promised real death and conquest. But in such a bleak time, Habakkuk did something really, really important. He refused the dark silence, and instead he asked questions of God. He trusted the Almighty enough to jump into his arms with questions. And that made all the difference. Three times Habakkuk wrestles with God, like like a child questioning the Lord over and over and over, and each time Habakkuk truly listens to God's response to his words. Here's a a representative statement, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk speaking, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Our exemplary prophet approaches God like a child, presenting problems, receiving God's words. And what is God's word to Habakkuk? Wonder. He gives him a call to wonder. Let's read together. Here's God's first answer to the prophet Habakkuk. You can read all the others on your own, but here's the first answer. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Let's read it all together. God speaks, "'Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded.'" For I am doing a work in your days you would not believe if told. Oh, I just got chills. It's fantastic. Habakkuk engages with God like a child. He doesn't sit in childish darkness. And as a result, everything looks different. You, you can read the wonderful story on your own. I'd like us together to just look at the ending. Let's just look at it. Here, here's the power of wonder. This is what happens when we receive life with the eyes of a child. Read with me. Uh, join me on the underlined text, uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now, the six points here, and these are the six major agricultural provisions in the land of Israel. Uh, we get... We get two harvest seasons here. Our forefathers used to only get one. In Israel, they've always gotten at least four. And then you have cattle and sheep on top of that. And he covers, he covers all six of these. So what he's saying is every, we're starving. Everything is, everything is bleak. Everything has collapsed. Okay, you got that context? Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Join me. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Amen. Wonder changes everything, even in the worst of times. And on the right side of our notes, we explain why. Look to the right side of your notes. Let's talk about why. Why does wonder change things? Because in awe, we partially see beyond our space-time limitations. You see this in Habakkuk 1.5. Look at it. Notice how God commands the prophet to see. He's to observe carefully, examining each detail. The word my Bible translates, see, is the Hebrew abitu. Uh, abitu is a term for, for observing, for, for looking, examining carefully. It literally means, look that you may see. Look with your special eyes. Look that you may see is what it means. The word first appears way back in Genesis chapter 15. Abram is told to go out and count the stars. Abitu, it's a word for looking at every individual and yet also looking for detail, to examine, to to find patterns, to to figure out what is happening. Taking time to do so, Abram is thus prepared in the rest of Genesis 15 for something amazing that God is going to do. There's another adventure with our kids. I think it illustrates Abitu well. I was teaching in Amsterdam, and uh, while I was teaching all day, Jana took the kids to the magnificent Rijksmuseum. The whole family was duly impressed with Rembrandt's uh, amazing painting that's commonly called The Night Watch. In fact, the whole family stood there for some time just in awe of this masterpiece. But when everybody else was done and ready to move on, one of our kids wasn't. Michael, our our son, just stood there. little kid, he just stood there in awe. And his mommy decided to just, just let him stay, see how long he would look at it. And he was just standing there studying that painting for over an hour. When his mom finally said, look, buddy, we, we got to go. Everybody else, we're going to move on. And, he, and, he, and she made him come on. He was actually pretty grumpy about it. And he swore that he had only been there for a few minutes. He said, I've only been here a few minutes. She said, um, no. And then he said something so fascinating. He said, I need more time so I can see. That's Abitu, Right? And by the way, Michael's grumpy exit from the night watch also brings up another another point here. Wonder is not all about happy feelings. You you, you see, when we get lost in wonder, we move. It's wonderful. We move slightly beyond our normal time-space limitations, but there's also a pain in that. There's a certain pain when we move beyond our our normal time-space limitations. When we really see there's there's a longing in that. C.S. Lewis described it with a German word. He, he used Sehnsucht as a, as a word. Andrew Peterson in his fantastic book, Adorning the Dark, puts it this way. C.S. Lewis defined Sehnsucht as inconsolable longing and even pointed to it as proof for the existence of God. We all feel it, right? That, that since beyond time and space, there's something just not right. There's something I'm longing for. There's something I'm waiting for, right? We all feel it. We're all familiar with it on some level. What's it there for if we're just meaningless clusters of cells hurtling through a meaningless universe? We should pay attention to those moments when we're crying without knowing why. It could be the author of the great mystery of creation is whispering to you. Close quote. Indeed. When we practice wonder, we we feel this beautiful, painful sense beyond time space. We also move further beyond self. Look up here, Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, through Peter and John, there's this beggar that has been healed. And and then then this happens, verse 9, all the people saw him, the beggar, walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Oh my goodness, look at these words, look at these words. Awe is the Greek thombos, okay? It's your fancy word for the day, boys and girls. You get to say thombos on the count of three. Thombos, one, two, three, thombos, thombos. Okay, thombos is a weird word, very rare in the Bible. It's actually an Indo-Germanic root, so it's, it's older than Greek and comes from a different area. It is an onomatopoeia. I'm not making this up. It's an onomatopoeia. Thombos is the sound of bonking somebody on the head. Totally serious. Thombos. That's what, that's what the word thombos, it's being shocked with a blow. Now, astonishment is the Greek ecstasis. Uh, what does that sound like in English? ecstasy. Yeah, we still use the word, same word. We still use it, ecstasy. These people who observed what God had done, they were shocked out of their own little minds. They were hit on the head and they responded with awe and ecstasy. And that allowed them to be a part of the bigger miracle. You see, these observers were brought from self-righteousness to salvation in Jesus. Look, verse 11, While he, the healed beggar, was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. If you've been up on the Temple Mount, it's the area that you first come up to in our age, that area up there. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made Him walk by our own power or godliness? And then He presented the good news of Jesus Christ who died for sins and rose from the grave that those who trust Him might have everlasting life. Chapter 4, verse 4. Many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 in awe. We partially sense beyond our normal perceptions. We move beyond self and our self righteousness to the far bigger miracle of salvation. All God's people said? Third thing, we become equipped to serve God. Consider this Hebrews chapter 12. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, thankfulness, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thankfulness for God's grace and mercy empowers us with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe are really important. Those are responses. Look at the text. Those are prerequisites for serving God acceptably. Again, the, the words are telling. Each of these words is very rare in New, New Testament usage. Um, if via, uh, the English reverence, that actually was a favorite word of Aristotle's. Uh, three to four hundred years before Hebrews was written. Um, it's, it's translated as circumspect or cautious or conscientious. Here's the idea. The idea is that, that you're living like a wild person, and then <gasps> you come in light of majesty, and suddenly you act differently. Not because of anything command, and he said just the presence of majesty, you, you straighten up and fly right, as my mom would say. All what we translate awe, is theos. It's originally a term for fetters. Uh, It was used used most often of a prisoner of war. Um, It it appears to become synonymous for that frozen feeling that one has when you're viewing something magnificent or or shocking. So look at what it's saying. Put it all together. Serving God acceptably requires a wow factor. I live differently because He has, by grace, placed me in His unshakable... in his unshakable kingdom, a kingdom of light and life, not silence and darkness. I mentioned that time I was in Switzerland where I heard Francis Schaefer discuss childlike faith. Well, on that trip, I was reading this book. I still have it all these years later. I was reading this book as I was riding on trains through Switzerland and And uh, it's by W. Philip Keller, the guy who wrote uh, Shepherd Looks of the 23rd Psalm. Really great book I recommend. This is his autobiography. Look what Keller says in here. Standing still in awe, wonder and appreciation. This is Hebrews 12. I am humbled by the wonder of the wind of his lovely spirit who has moved upon my spirit and will that I might serve him all these years. What noble hope he gives to us who walk with him. Close quote. All right. With all that in mind, let's ask the question in our notes. What is holding me back? There's no doubt that most of us are being retarded in our growth and wonder. It's something that I addressed when I worked on this and I sent this to our pulpit team and, and the elders of this church. I, I wrote this as the premise. Uh, why, why did I think we needed to study this? Here's what I told them. People greatly struggle to enjoy the power of wonder. In our modern pretense of maturity, being full of wonder seems naive or even foolish. We pretend to understand things that we do not. We refuse to research and learn with childlike joy, settling for media headlines instead. Worst of all, we separate the God of wonders from His creation, dividing truth into a false dichotomy of objective and spiritual. This renders us incapable of enjoying the wonder in created objects and unappreciative of the objective nature of spiritual realities." In summary, without wonder, we cannot walk by the Spirit. We're reduced to reliance upon our flesh. Close quote. The solution is for us to re-engage with the fullness of awe that first brought us into relationship with God through Jesus. By nurturing our sense of wonder, we get back on the path of growth that God has prepared for us. We can serve acceptably. More on that in a moment. First, let me share. Let me just be very personal here. I want to share the three things that I have found to be most damaging to my own sense of wonder, okay? Three things that I have found most damaging to me. First is our false world of screens. God, his word, his creation, everyone, everything. Let's be quite honest. It all appears pretty mundane, decidedly unwonderful when compared with the amazing capacity of the iPhone, right? It's true. It's a lie, but it's, it's how we think, And we are addicted to screens precisely because they pretend to offer wonder. That's what they do. They pretend. It's the very definition of idolatry. Dr. Larry Terlazese puts it this way in his book, Machine Head. A push-button world leaves no room for impulse control. We indulge ourselves with each use. We're rewarded by an emotional rush. A slight chemical stimulation over time through repeated use becomes addiction. Once the body adjusts to the added stimulus, it can't go without it. Only in the absence of the idol do we reveal our degrading dependence upon it. Addiction of any kind leaves no room for awe and reverence of the true God. Screens just happen to be the main addiction of our day. Second thing holding me back from wonder is self. I don't know about you, but I have no room for observing God or His world or His word when my eyesight is consumed with self. A.W. Tozier, the 20th century pastor, I think says it best. He says, The flesh is woven of the fine threads of the self-life, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. Isn't that well said, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit? They're not something we do, they're something we are. And they're in life both their subtlety and their power. To be specific... The self-sins are self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much part of our natures to come to our attention until the light of God is focused upon them, close quote. So true. Artist Andrew Peterson shares this wise thought, the only way to victory is to lose myself, to surrender to sacredness. I have to accept the fact that I am loved by God. That's it. Close quote. I'm going to be limited to my shallow self until I am willing to surrender to wonder in God's sacred love for me. Which leads to the third thing that holds me back, lack of trust in God. Tozer continues on his theme of blockades to wonder. He asks this. He says, why do the very ransomed children of God The ransom children of God themselves know so little of the habitual, conscious communion with God which Scripture offers. The answer is because of our chronic unbelief. Faith enables our spiritual sense to function. Where faith is defective, the result will be inward insensibility and numbness towards spiritual things. Remember Max Lucado's story? Those girls had a great time with their daddy because they trusted their father. And they were right to do so because he's trustworthy. I don't know what kind of earthly father you have. But I do know this, there is a perfect heavenly father who sent his own son to make a way for you to spend forever in his arms, but it requires trust. Pray with me about that right now. We've got a little more to do, but let's let's stop and pray right here. Father, I pray for anyone who is studying with me today, anyone who is learning from your scripture today that doesn't know Jesus as Savior i beg you to open their ears to your call that you long to be father to them listen god the son died on the roman cross willingly giving up his life to pay for your sin because god loves you so much and jesus didn't stay dead he rose from the grave so that if you trust him you're placed in an unshakable kingdom of God. You can no longer trust self, all the self-sins. You can't, you can't choose to stay in the kingdom of darkness. You've, it's an act of faith. You have to trust Jesus as Savior. If you've never done so, do so right now. Talk to God and confess that you believe on Jesus as Savior. If you're in the auditorium right now, please raise your hand. Look up at me. Everybody else is still praying. Good. If you're you're online with us uh, and it's live, feel free to comment to the moderator. We would love to rejoice with you. Good. Thank you. Father, I pray that we will. I, I, I pray that those with whom I learn will not be like me. And that they will not have these same blockades to wonder. And if they do, you will help them dismantle them as you have been helping me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, before we go, I'd like to take a moment to get very, very practical. Let's discuss how to grow in wonder. I mean, after all, that's the objective of this series, that, that we learn and practice the power of awe. But how? How to do so? What are the best steps for growing in wonder? If you look in your notes, you'll see my top ten. And these... These aren't scripture, these are just things that I have learned from different sources over the years. Number one, fish for wonder. Work at it. When I was a kid, we often went fishing as a family. Fishing is an excellent activity for learning patient work, right? You gotta be patient as a fisherman. You can't, hurried fishermen don't have success. You gotta wait for things that are beyond your control to happen. But at the same time, fishermen who don't work go hungry. Lazy fishermen don't catch any fish. That's what's meant by fish for wonder. It takes patience to see. Those who would see the awesomeness of God must be patient. The the changes in your life from wonder can't be hurried. But it takes work. As the Lord makes clear in Habakkuk 1, we have to look. We have to observe. We have to see. As E.B. White wrote, always be on the lookout for the presence of wonder. Fish for it. Number two of my top ten means for growth in wonderful wonder Dwell on the excellent and amazing. Read with me. Philippians chapter 4, let's read responsively. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Let your mind camp here on the perfect foundation of excellence. Nothing is more true than God's word. Nothing is more praiseworthy than his grace. If you focus on excellence, you will be inevitably drawn to the perfection of God and of his amazing grace. Here's how how my old mentor put it to me. Many, many, many times he said something like this to me. Dr. Wimp would look at me and he'd say, son, I've never gotten over the wonder that God loves me. An idiotic wretch like me, I pray you never get over it either close quote, and I have not. Number three, ask for Jesus' help. Ask for his help. Uh, in Adorning the Dark, Peterson uh, puts it this way. He says, Bach wrote, "Solideo gloria, uh, glory to God alone, at the bottom of his manuscripts. That's a good and beautiful thing, and I'd suggest doing the same in your notebooks, but don't forget, hufa, which is Latin for Jesus' help, If you look through my journal, says Peterson, you'd see that again and again. God is the Word that made the world the source of all goodness, beauty, and truth. We would be fools not to invoke His aid. Close quote. Ask for God's help to see His wonder. Number four, think through some poetry. Now, let's be honest. Poetry can be awful, okay? It can be boring. It can be pretentious. Most of the ones that make you read in school are. I didn't say that out loud. Anyway, um, however, if the poet is talented, it really can awaken us to wonder. For example, I'd like you to think through. Think through the change that you see in Wendell Berry in this poem. I just took a photo of of my copy. Uh, Wendell Berry's poem, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. Is that brilliantly said? Do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Close quote. Number five on my list is don't settle. Think, when you admit, when you know that the best is yet to come, that we Christians are set in an unshakable kingdom that is to come, that allows you to be open to wonder. You can work hard to improve yourself in light of what will be. You never settle for this world as the ultimate answer. You're always looking for something more wonderful. I love what theologian N.T. Wright wrote in his book, Simply Christian. I don't always agree with N.T. Wright, but he is brilliant here. Look what he says Made for spirituality, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, We're satisfied with sentiment, close quote. Don't settle. All God's people said, amen. What steps can I take to grow in wonder? Number six, build sustaining habits. Uh, Sally Clarkson wrote a book about about wonder in the home, in, in the family called Awakening Wonder. She says this, create routines and rhythms that make your lifestyle more sustainable and supported. In context, she's talking about for a sense of wonder create a home atmosphere that avoids cynicism and serves wonder. Find opportunities to serve, to develop character and resilience as life habits. Cultivate a sense of purpose through the imagination and stewardship of skills, talents, and resources. Close quote. In other words, be disciplined toward wonder. Number seven, read stories. Read stories. Okay, now look. Suppose that Suppose the informational point, the information you need, an author is communicating information you need. The point is, uh, we'll call it X, okay? If you need X quickly, then you can read an article or or a summary. That's fine. That's fine. You can get X. But I would encourage you to make sure that's not all you do. Instead, spend your time with an author who teaches X through story. Because what the author is going to do is they're going to give you a slash at one point. And then a little bit later on, they're going to give you a backslash. And then, ho, oh, 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 you get to see the wonder of how they come together. Oh, I never saw that coming. How that forms X. And it will be so much more deeply written on you. And you get to experience the information through wonder. Stories remind us that life is not merely about information. It's about the wonder of the discovery journey. How to engage in wonder. Number eight, get outside. One of the most brilliant Americans was George Washington Carver. If you don't know anything about him... His agricultural innovations have helped feed the world. Carver said this uh, in the early 20th century, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will only tune in. If we'll only tune in. Our life group leader, Ben Katsada, uh, Ben leads one of our life groups here. He's one of those people that has tuned in. Look, he wrote this note to me recently. Ben wrote me. He said, Wayne, the, um, the COVID pandemic has certainly wreaked havoc around the world, but it has also provided a couple of personal benefits, namely the opportunity to work remotely and to slow down. Shane, that's his wife, Shane and I took advantage of these benefits by spending a lot of time at her family's lake house in Arkansas. We've been surrounded by nature calling us to get outside, and that we have done. The first five words of the Bible are, in the beginning God created. Getting outside and exploring nature is a good reminder of what a wonderful artist our God is. And then he says, I've attached some pictures that highlight the wonder of getting outside. Look at these. These are great snapshots. Um, ben captured a bald eagle right here fishing over the lake. Isn't that amazing? Flock of geese taking off from the water. Isn't that gorgeous? this beautiful bridal veil fall that's ruined by Ben behind it. But it's this beautiful <laughs> picture, right? Those are awesome. Number nine, embrace problems as opportunities. Remember, coming to Jesus as a child means trusting God enough to ask questions. Problems are opportunities to learn. Kepler, Newton, George Washington Carver, Francis Collins, all these scientists and many, many, many more experience breakthroughs precisely because they embrace the process of wonder. Wonder. Morris Klein nailed the idea in his book, Mathematics to Loss of Certainty. Kepler spoke gratefully of the minor mismatch in Mars's orbit as a gift from God because it spurred his greatest scientific breakthrough. The chief aim of science, Kepler said, is to discover the rational order and harmony which has been imposed on it by God, close quote. My son, that son who spent over an hour studying that Rembrandt masterpiece, he was later stricken with a very serious disability. And through that grief, he has embraced his pain as an opportunity to help others. That's why he formed this group, the Fundamental Arts Foundation. That's why he wrote this book. His group helps others with disability experience the power of wonder through art. They embrace problems as opportunities, and so should we. Number 10, worship with your local church. You know, if you have ever spent a season away from the church gathering, you, you know, some of us have been there. We know that there are, these, there are these thin layers of darkness that can cover our souls without us even realizing it. Here's how you can tell, because you stumble back into the fellowship at some point, and you, you just are so drawn, you, it, like, a, like a plant toward light. You're just stumbling toward sunshine. And when I say worship, I don't just mean song. Singing worship is great, but we must actively use all of the elements of worship as a means to wonder. I was discussing this with our pastor, Jared Coe, and Jared reminded me of this great comment. Ravi Zacharias wrote a book about wonder called Recapture the Wonder. Look what he said. In short, wonder is captured in one word, worship. When we've learned what worship is, we've experienced what wonder is, close quote. So let's experience wonder and worship together. Shall we stand, would you? Stand up and let's, uh, let's worship the Lord together. Let's sing. Lord of all creation Of water, earth, your tabernacle